You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Hallelujah. Would you ask your neighbor, how was your day? I hope you had a good day. I hope Lagos traffic was not, did not do that which only it can do to you. Okay, great. So tonight, very quickly, uh, we will be wrapping up on our, on the series that we started this month of November called People of Influence. We've spoken extensively about what it means to become a person of influence and how you can grow in influence, the things that are required for, you know, uh, becoming a person of influence, essentially, and just being salt and light for us. We, we, we agreed this month um, that part of being influenced means being relevant wherever it is that God has placed you. Um, a way to be relevant is to fulfill Jesus' instruction, his mandate in the book of Matthew chapter 5, essentially which says to us that we bring out the God colors of the world or in the world and we bring out the God flavors on the earth, you know, so being salt and being light, being people of character like we learned on Sunday for those who are in service. So tonight we will be wrapping up on the series um, and we will just be talking about, I'm going to be asking some questions, so please feel free to engage. We'll be talking about the life of Jesus. We will be examining the life of Jesus. We May I ask, let me not assume, may I ask, who would we consider to be the greatest influencer that ever lived? We have very fantastic and amazing influencers, people dead and alive, people who are doing great stuff, or people who have done great stuff, who literally their legacy lives on. You know, but when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, is it safe to assume would we be in agreement when, we say, when I say that Jesus is or can be considered as the greatest influencer that ever lived or walked the face of this earth? Okay. Uh, a couple Sundays back, we established that age is not a measure of impact. Age does not um, signify or should not be an excuse for you feeling inhibited or unable to do the things that you have been created to do. And we looked at the life of Methuselah, which we really couldn't say much about beyond his age. And in comparison with the life of Jesus Christ, who lived 33 plus years on earth. And we are still studying him. We are still following him. We are still trying to be like him. You know, so who best to teach us how to influence our generation, who best to teach us how to live a life of impact. Okay, so I want to start with a story of something, of an experience that I had in secondary school. A very short story, so I will not bore you with the details, but I tried this afternoon to remember the name of my head boy when I was in GSS 1. And I cannot, I still can't. I'm, in fact, I cannot remember what he looks like. I know we would have had an, I mean, would have had a head boy because it was the norm to have a head boy and a head girl. But I do not know who he is. I can't remember who he is, who he was. I cannot remember a thing about him. 
However, I do remember a young man called, called Abdul. Abdul was not the head boy. Abdul was not even a prefect. I don't have a title for Abdul as, aside from him being the baddest boy in school, in their set. I remember Abdul, and I can say that a lot of my, so I happen to still have a few of my friends, you know, from people who we went to school together, who we sort of do business together now. And we all know Abdul. We still talk about Abdul because Abdul had an amazing impact in all of our lives with his terrorism as a bad boy. My point is, sometimes the things that we find ourselves doing, especially when we have been placed in certain positions that would require us influencing people either above or those coming behind us, they matter a great deal. When we find those opportunities, what we do with them matters a great deal. Now, when I say Abdul was a bad boy, he probably, I'm sure he's, okay, he can't be a grandfather now, no. But he's, he's got kids and all of that. Maybe his kids are like, what, grown-up teenagers now and everything. But back then, the only incident, aside from the gist that we hear about Abdul and his troop, his, his friends, you know, girls and guys. My school then, please don't ask me the name, but my school then, my secondary school then, was very notorious. I mean, people drive to school. It was notoriety back then because you were a teenager, you weren't supposed to be driving to school. So we had these guys drive to school. You know, people beat up teachers and all those kind of very strange and weird things. And here was I just getting into secondary school and being surround, surrounded by all these, you know, drama. I was coming from a very distant, and I did not go to a public school. So do not assume that it's because it's a public school. That's why I went to a private school. But all of that still happened. In fact, it was because there was, there was a lot of favoritism, and the school literally had no hold over the, because we, have, we had the kids of senators and governors in the school. So it was almost as if the kids were untouchable. They did not used to flog us. So that wasn't even there. I remember Abdul broke a teacher's finger then. The teacher was pointing at him, and then he took the finger and, you know, just, I don't know what he did, but finger broke. How we got to know was they had him come apologize on, at, the, at the assembly ground, you know, and he came, and his people just began to hail him. And this guy refused to apologize on stage in the presence of everybody. So plus principal, plus vice principal, plus teach, everybody was, they were all embarrassed because this guy just refused to apologize. That was the reason why they brought him on, come and apologize to the teacher that you broke her finger. And the woman was there with bandage. And the boy was there, he did not apologize. And the whole school went crazy. Abdul, Abdul, you know, it was a mess. But I do remember how Abdul saved me one day. So there was this un unwritten rule about finding yourself in the senior, in the S, on the SS3 corridor. It was out of bounds to junior students. And junior students were recognized with their pinafores. 
I do not know what happened to this friend of mine who then needed to go and see somebody, some fam strange family man. Anyway, we missed our way and we found ourselves, unfortunately, on the SS3 corridor. And so immediately they saw us, the girls, junior girls, come here, go down there and catwalk. So they made us catwalk back and forth and back and forth. And my friend was quite plump. She was on the chubby side. She began to cry. Because it w I, could, I did not cry, but I was very embarrassed. And they made us go and up and down, and we, they were laughing and all. And then all of a sudden, Abdul shows up on the scene. Hey, 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 what's going on here? And he starts to speak in pidgin English. And like, you people are very stupid. Junior girls, go. And you know, I could hug him if, uh, if it was possible, but because we all sort of trembled at the sight of Abdul, I was so thankful for literally him saving us because only God knows for how long we were going to be going up and down on that corridor doing nothing. We were missing classes and all. And so I left or we left. And the next day I saw him and I summoned courage and I went to meet him and said, would you be my school father? <laughs> because I just thought I will be safe in this school with this guy. Honestly. And I think that must have been the first time he got the question because he was shocked. Like, he was dumbfounded. He couldn't answer. He kept staring at me, and then his friends were looking at him like, eh, school father, eh, you know? And I was like, okay. Suffice to say that, well, I did not have any dealings with him after that day <laughs> because as I stayed longer in the school, I realized that this is not a person to associate with, but it was a good, he saved me, bottom line. Now, bringing it back home, we look at the life of Jesus and we're wondering, he had so much to deal with. He had a lot of struggle. He had, you know, a lot to contend with. He had people questioning him, questioning his background, questioning his competency, questioning his credibility to say the things that he, he was saying at that time. But Jesus knew who he was. And he knew what his mission was. It was very clear. He stood for what he believed. He would make it known, like I shared some Sundays back, that, yes, I hear you. That is your way. That is what you think is right. But here is the way that I bring. Here is the approach that I bring to this matter. That is why every, because they knew he was such a man of authority. And he was very knowledgeable in the scriptures, they would bring cases to him, expecting, you know, literally a, 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 a sentence of condemnation, expecting sometimes to set him up. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you would recall stories where it was a deliberate attempt to set Jesus Christ up. When they would ask him about matters of the law and legislation, they would ask him about, you know, Let's see if you're going to go contrary to what the law of Moses says. But Jesus would respond with so much wisdom. He would respond with sometimes humility because I put myself in those, I don't know if you're like me, I, say, I always say it's, I read my, I'm very imaginative when I read my Bible. So I read in pictures and I would sometimes just imagine if it was me, how will I react you know, while growing up as a teenager, 
there was this whole what will Jesus do movement. I don't know how many of you are familiar or you may have heard about it. What will Jesus do? So the gist was, you should always ask yourself what Jesus will do if you find yourself in a particular situation. So what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle it? You know, and sometimes I ask myself when I read about Jesus, what would Busola have done if she found herself in that situation? Would I have been quick to condemn? Would I have been quick to, to please men? Because he had so many opportunities to swing the way of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But he knew that what he was about mattered more. He knew that his was a path of peace and of love. And he chose that, you know, he chose to stay and stayed and maintained that track. More importantly, Jesus exemplifies for us a life of service. And that's where I want to spend some time tonight. As we bring the whole gist on being a person of influence, as we wrap it up. Jesus lived a life of service. That was what he was about. But more importantly, it's one thing to say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm on a mission. But you see, you can lose your fire in the face of opposition. You can lose your will, the will and the staying power in the face of condemnation. When people look at you and they say, what do, who are you? What do you know? Where are you from? And they literally tell your story to you. They question your competency. They question your credibility. They tell you and remind you about your past. Sometimes we lose the will to fight or we lose the will to even just maintain and stick with it, with whatever vision God has committed into our hands. But we learn a lot from the life of Jesus Christ that regardless of the things that they said to him or about him, he still continued. Even sometimes when it looked like the opposition was from his home front, he still maintained the path. But he did everything that he did from a heart of love. P.O. spoke extensively about how that beyond just desiring to, have, to be, be a person of character, it must be founded on something. There has got to be something that is driving it, and it is love. Jesus for us exemplifies that he is love personified. And so everything he did, he did from a place of love. He did from a heart of love, a heart full of love. When he corrected, when he rebuked, when he healed, when he, whatever it was he did, it was from a place of love. So when we speak about influence, when we talk about influence, when we talk about, you know, being in a position of authority, being a leader, as children of God, as followers of Christ, it is important that we, as we say, we follow Christ, just like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. When we follow him, we really should be imitators of him in, in action, in words, in deed, so that we will model our lives doing the things that he did, responding how he responded. It is tough, yes, but he did it. And I hope nobody here is thinking when Jesus was on earth, it was kind of like, what, semi-human? He was full flesh. He was, you know, blood, blood flowed through his veins like you and I. Otherwise, when they were piercing him at, at the cross, there wouldn't have been blood and water. It means he had blood, he had water, he had flesh. So he was, you know, divinity in human form. But that didn't mean that he did not go through the things that, you know, we are currently dealing with. 
That's why scripture says that we, we do not have a high priest that cannot relate with the things that we're currently dealing with. Scripture also says that he was tempted in every way. So there's nothing that, you know, we're grappling with, maybe in a different shape or shade or form. Because in his time then, there was no social media. In his time, there was no, what, what do we have now that didn't exist in the time of Jesus, guys? Help me. Yeah? What? Voodoo. <laughs> oh, phones. <laughs> I thought I heard voodoo. Phones, yeah, well, yeah, but they had it, they must have had a way they communicated. Speaking about communication, you know, I struggle to remember how we used to communicate when there were no phones and we were in relationships. How did we survive? Letters. I, you can't relate. Uh, Ijiro was not born then. He can't, you can't. I really, even I am struggling to remember because I remember being in a relationship and they were wearing uh, no phone. How did we see? And we used to see. How, do, how would he know when I'm done with class to know where to meet me up and stuff? Anyway. Okay, so I'd like us to read some scriptures tonight. Matthew chapter 20. It's a bit of a long read, so I would read through very quickly. From verse 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's son, Mrs. Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the, one, the other on the left in your kingdom. Before I go further, every time I read the scripture, I'm reminded of the African mother. Not in a bad way. But we know that the African mother typically looks out for her own, wants to arrange. I don't want to say Nigerian mother, but you want to be sure. How many people's mothers here had to go beg for admission or solicit help for, you know, somebody that knows somebody? You know the things mothers do. They do it out of love, so it's not a bad thing. But here was Mrs. Zebedee trying to arrange her sons in, the, you know, in preparation for the end times. And she thought she could, it was something she could arrange by just going to Jesus, just rubber buying and just trying to solicit favor. Anyway, she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you about to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the same baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus, in a very short breath, says to his disciples, look, it is not enough. Yes, I have sold you a vision. And that's what Jesus was about when he came to the face of this earth. 
It was to sell people a vision. It was to sell people a, 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 I was going to say better life. Yeah, but that's what it is, really. To make people become aware that, look, there is more to life. There is more to the life that you currently live. There is an eternity you need to be mindful of. Here were the disciples who had bought into this vision so passionately and vigorously, so much so that the two master Zebedees went home to tell their mom about it. And she's like, well, why don't we do something about it right here and right now? Let's just lock it down. They come to Jesus and Jesus finds himself having to remind them that, look, this is not what it is about. It's not about jostling for position. It's not about trying to fix who makes it and where we end up. It's bigger than this. It is greater than this. And I'd like to point out here that a lot of times we jostle for positional leadership, if I may put it that way. We think that we're in a place of leadership, you know, just because of the fact that, yes, I merit it. I'm good at it. I earned it. That is why I'm the supervisor. That is why I'm the team lead. That is why I lead this business. That's why I incorporated this business, you know. And we think it's about the position or the power that comes with being in the position. But Jesus says, no, it's greater than that. It is a call to service. It is that for every time you have an opportunity to impact people, you have an opportunity to lead people, it is an assignment because you are, it's almost as though the lives of people have been committed into your care and what you do with those lives matter. So Jesus is saying here, whoever is thinking of, you know, being great, where you start is to serve. You are thinking of greatness, but greatness for me in my dictionary, in Jesus' dictionary, is service. It is that you will read yourself of the title and get your hands dirty. It is that you would take on that assignment that God has given you so passionately, not minding who is rewarding, who is seen. Because it is about service. God is looking to raise servants. And so the word servant isn't, in this context, it's not a derogatory word. When he says he's looking for co-laborers, laborers that will join him at work, he's looking for people who will serve. So a lot of times we mix it up to think that it is about, you know, just the position, just being a leader, just having the title, and just making things happen. Being a person of influence requires that we serve, and that we serve diligently. And that's what Jesus was saying to them in Matthew here. I'd also like to read John chapter 13, from verse 1 to 17. up already okay now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end and supper being ended the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and guarded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was guarded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, saying, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Several lessons to learn from this passage of the Bible. First of, Jesus says, look, you guys recognize that I am your Lord and I'm your teacher. Thank you very much because you're very correct. However, what I have done, what I have modeled to you, which is the washing of, the, of, the, of your feet, is what is required that you do, not in a literal sense. So permit me to say that we've all been called to a foot washing ministry or a foot washing assignment. There are feet you've got to wash where he has placed you. There are feet you've got to wash where he's placed you. Now, the whole foot washing we may not understand um, its importance. Let me explain. Back in those days, foot washing was done by the lowliest and the least of servants in a household. There were no cars. People walked. So the feet was the, will I call it the dirtiest part of the body at any given point in time. So when you get to a household, it was the custom for them to bring out a basin and wash your feet. It's not done by the chief servants. It's not even done by the, you know, we have several levels now. When you have the chief, what do you have? The senior servants. It's not done by the analyst servants. It's not done by the, what, the officer servants. It's done by the least, not even entry level. The temp the contracts, the lists, is the list servant that gets the job done. That shows you how, for want of a better word to, to qualify it, degrading the chore was. Now, Jesus will model this to us. And he does it in a very interesting manner. He takes off his robe and guards himself with a towel. He dresses the parts. He takes off that which makes him appear more than, you know, the others in the room. And prepares himself physically for the task at hand. He gets down 
and he starts to wash their feet. I'm sure they were confused. Because they understood, they did not understand what he was getting at, but they knew the, the custom. They knew the people who typically do stuff like that, so they could not relate in their minds, which is why he had to educate them to say, look, I am your teacher, yes. I am your Lord, I am your master. But I am doing this because this is what we are called to. This is who we are. So when we say that we serve, when we say that we are children of light, we are called to service. We are called to foot washing, as it were. We are called to getting the job done in the various industries and the spheres of influence that God has placed us in. It is that we look at ourselves and we do not elevate ourselves more than the giver of the assignment. And that was what Jesus was referring to here. That the, you are not greater than the person who sent you on assignment. And as long as you recognize that you are answerable to God, as long as you recognize that the, the, the thing that he has committed you to, where he has placed you in your job, in your business, in your family, that you are answerable to him and you are responsible, then you take on the task. And sometimes that task would require us shedding and putting aside those things that inhibit us from getting the job done. Sometimes those inhibitors could be pride. So you look at yourself and you're like, me, how? I remember, was it, um, I think it was last week's discussion when we, we broke into groups and we're talking about, you know, um, having difficult conversations with our bosses. And I went around some of the groups and, you know, there was a particular group I sat in where someone was complaining very bitterly about how their boss does not uh, reward performance, reward efforts, and stuff. Yes, it does get frustrating. I remember having a conversation just along those same lines too with someone who was also in service and the person was complaining as well how frustrated they were and how they thought they needed to change jobs because they weren't getting the right support. But she said something very, very important and I felt she answered her question that she didn't even need to talk to me. She said, look, but I, every day, I'm just fulfilled seeing my staff, you know, knowing that they look up to me, being comforted at the fact that they seek, my, you know, seek me out for counsel, talk to me about their personal issues. I feel like I'm doing something. So even though the job feels, uh, but I feel like these guys, I'm, I'm fulfilled just being here and being light to them. So tonight, I'm, I'm asking you to think just a bit before we close out this um, series. Who are you? What has God called you to? Where has he positioned you? And what are you doing? What are you doing with the things that he has committed into your hands? The skills and the abilities that he has blessed you with, what are you doing with them? The people that you are privileged to lead and to influence how are you doing that? Have you exalted yourself so highly that you cannot even relate? Jesus went through a lot. You all know that he knew from the onset that his assignment was really to go to the cross. And as he drew closer, with 
every passing day. For those who study the scriptures, you, you may know of the, the story of the, uh, his experience at the his Mount of Transfiguration now. And how he literally begged God to let the cup pass over him. Because he knew what laid ahead. But scripture re records that, you know, for the joy that he set ahead, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. The joy of the salvation of you and I. So Jesus looked ahead and he saw you and I. And that kept him on the journey. You know, I have not tried to ever process what if Jesus had said no. I have not been able to process it. What if he said no? What if he's, well, he's God. So there was really no way his humanity could have taken over so much so that he would have said no. That's how I explain it to myself. If you have a better answer, you scholars of scriptures, Timoni, please share with me. But here was Jesus. He knew that he had an assignment. And that assignment was to die. And with everything in him, he knew that it was not an easy journey. But still, he chose to go on. I don't know what it is that you may have contended with or that you are currently contending with that has made you pull back or give up. I don't know what it is that stands before you such that you cannot even see the joy that is set ahead. And oftentimes with service, it's not so much about you. In fact, I dare say that it is not about you. That is why I believe strongly that in your place of service lies your promotion or the seed for it in your place of service. And a very good example is Joseph. Pierre also talked about Joseph on Sunday. You know, Joseph could have been so overwhelmed with his own issues that he would not have noticed the butler and the baker's drawn and sad faces. He could have been so in, what's the word now? Please find me the English. So, in, is he involved? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but so into himself and his issues, like we usually are sometimes. Please help me. What's the word? Engrossed, yeah? With his own thing, his own problems, his own challenges, his own issues, the things that he did not have. He, was, he did nothing, and yet he was in prison, sold by his brothers. He could have been meditating on where he was coming from. So much so that an opportunity for service, which was directly connected to his next level, he could have missed it. But as he went along his duties, he observed the sad face and he asked, he inquired. Very simple lesson for us to learn there. Sometimes we're at work. We're just so into ourselves. Traffic has finished. You, you got to work. You're just angry. Cha, 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 cha. 
your boss is, it happens to me. So this is, this is for all of us together. And as you're getting in your bus or you get a message at night for an early morning meeting that scatters your calendar, you are not ready for the meeting, nothing. So you get in and you're just unhappy. And you start to meditate about how you have given your time and your hours to this organization. They've not promoted you in three years, in four years. You have still been on the same level. And you are just thinking about yourself. I know we think it's hard to sometimes just lift up our eyes from us and focus on others. But that's what God would have us do. That take the attention from yourself and shine the light on someone else and be a blessing to them. Because you do not know. And it's not so much about, because there was nothing. So the butler and baker, even when Joseph did what he did with them, and he said to them, remember me. Did they remember him? Well, the one that made it alive, did he remember him? Not until two years after. Not until two years after. I'll say it again. Your place of service is very, very much connected to your upward journey. Jesus lived a life of service. He was very selfless. He sought the good in, in people. They would bring the adulterous woman to him. And he would, you know, where are the people that want to stone you? Let them, the people who have no sin, let them cast the first stone. He looked for ways to make lives better. He, looked, he gave people an opportunity. That was what he was about anyway. He extended mercy. There was room for improvement with him. Another thing Jesus did, there was something we, could, we can learn from Jesus, the life of Jesus and his journey, his very short journey on earth. Very short but very impactful. Was Jesus was a man given to prayer. In our journey for influence and impact, Jesus knew when to withdraw from the crowds. He knew when to separate himself. He knew when to step aside from the limelight. And he did it often. He did it when John the Baptist died. We may assume he did that because he was grieving. But he did step aside. He did it when he fed the 5,000. In fact, that one, they wanted to set him up. He fed them, and then they were going to make him king. Like, yeah, yeah this guy, he not only has the word, he then has the, he has the, the, the what's now, the, no, no, no. He has the, the one we can't see, what do you call that? Let, let's call that the living word. He has the living word, and then he has the physical word, the bread. So he will give us both. Let's just crown him king. What are we waiting for? Let's, let's just make him king. Because we know that we are sorted. Spiritually, we are sorted. Physically, we are all right. He will just be performing miracles. We'll never know famine. But here was Jesus. He knew that wasn't what he was about. He knew that was not it for him. 
And scripture records that he withdrew himself before they put him in trouble. He withdrew himself to a solitary place. Jesus recognized the importance of communing with his father. So we would see in scriptures where he would have performed miracles. There's something when, when, when you do things like that, when you, I don't know many of you, when you go to give a good talk for those who do public speaking here, or you, you just an A-star person at work in a particular season, you've dazzled the board, you're on a high, what do you do? You go out and have drinks with friends, you celebrate, right? Adriel has rolled his eyes at me. I'm not about to condemn that or say don't hang out with friends and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But let's learn from Jesus. Please open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5 verse 16. What does Jesus do when he has a, when he's on a high? Let's see it in the scriptures now. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. I think I want to read the verse before. Let's do Mark chapter 1 from verse 32. Okay, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Next. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Next. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. That sounds like a, an opportunity to blow. Everyone needs you. Everyone is looking for you. Because of the things that you have done, you have been amazing. You've healed the sick, you've raised the dead, you've done signs and wonders. Now is the time. To come out with your chest puffed up and, you know, claim your seats. Claim your glory. But what does our Lord and Master do? He withdrew himself from the limelight. Because it was important for Jesus at every point in time to ensure that the glory isn't given to him. It was important for him to go back to refuel to re-energize. Maybe it was even a solution for dealing with pride because remember, he was flesh on earth. Maybe that was his strategy so that he doesn't get into pride. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, Jesus could, cannot be proud. But it's okay if he was proud. He's who he is. Maybe it was a strategy. But the point or the lesson here is he knew when to separate himself. And so he would step back from the limelight. He would recharge. Please, the next verse after that, it shows something very important that Jesus then goes. But he said to them, now here, they were saying to him, oh, everyone is looking for you. And he says to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come. So guys, let's focus. That's what Jesus was saying there. Let's focus. Let's focus. So he had gone to refuel, to re-energize, to distress possibly. And he came back out. I said, let's continue the journey. Let's continue the assignment. 
That is a great lesson for us to learn from the life of Jesus in our journey towards influence or as we, as we lead, as we serve. Do we know when to step back? And how connected are we to our Father, the giver of the assignment? And I hope there's no one here who's thinking when I say service, I'm talking about church. Absolutely not. Church is one of the places we serve, yes. But Jesus needs us more in the marketplace. He needs us more to shine the lights at our places of work, in our families, amongst our friends. He needs us to be light there. He needs us to be salt. So while it is that we serve in church, he's looking to us to do things outside. But as we do these things and as we gain the victory, it's important that we stay connected to the giver of the assignment. It's important that we refuel, that we recharge, and we re-energize ourselves because the journey continues. There is more to be done, and that's what Jesus has shown us in that scripture. So he finishes a, an amazing experience. He takes out time to recharge, and he goes on with his assignment. He doesn't sit back there and just continue to bask in the glory of the signs and wonders that he has done. To wrap this all up, Jesus lived an exemplary life. He knew what his assignment was. He knew what he was about. He was connected to his father. He didn't take for granted the fact that he was divinity and as such could go on. After he was baptized, scripture records that he separated himself for 40 days. And by the time he came back, what was the first thing that happened to him? Yeah, anybody? He was tempted. The devil came at him. That's somebody that separated themselves for 40 days. Old. The devil still came at him. With all the fire that he should have been carrying, or that he was carrying actually, the devil still thought it's okay to test him. And the devil came at him with things that he knew. The devil came at him with the word. I'm saying this so you understand that um, we're not, um, what's the word now? We're not, it can, it can be any of us. There are things we will deal with, temptations that would arise, things that would happen to us or come our way. How grounded are you in the word? Scripture says, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How well do you know your God? And how connected are you to him? So this is beyond us just desiring position, desiring fame, desiring, uh, you know, success. This is that we're saying to God, look, you made me. You know, what, you know how you wired me. There is something I'm here for. And as I do the things that you have called me to, that you will continue to embrace me, you know, feel me, just help me be who you have called me to be, essentially. It's a, it's a life of influence is a life of surrender. It's a life of completely yielding to God and to his purpose. 
It's a life of putting aside your own will and saying, Lord, let your will be done. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what it is you're, you're dealing with. I don't know what questions you have. I don't even know what it is that you are engaging God about. But God is saying, lift up your eyes. Just take your eyes off yourself. And look around you. Would you be my hands and my feet here on earth? Would you be my voice? Would you help shine the light in dark areas? In places that are read with darkness and filled with darkness? Scripture says, arise and shine for your light. How many? Oh yeah, now let's say it now. We know it, yeah? Arise and shine for your light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Goes on to say, gross darkness fills the earth. You are required as children of light to shine your light, to fill this earth with light, to fill your families with light, to bring light. If, we, if this place was dark now and we all come in with our lights, we'll light up this room. That is what we're supposed to be, you know, shining the God colors on earth. In the various institutions and the various industries that God is calling us to, there is work to be done. And the excuse should no longer be that I am not capable. Because you have God. Start from there first. He will bring your teachers your way. The books you need to read, he will show you. The right relationships will come. All you need to do is yield to him. Just surrender and ask that his will be done. Would you be a willing vessel tonight saying to God, use me as I am? Shall we rise up? Would someone just tonight surrender their hearts to God afresh? A life of influence is a life that is that is surrendered to God. It's a life that is surrendered. Completely yielded. And I don't know what you need to surrender to God tonight. What is contending with God's attention in your life? You know. And if you don't know, maybe you should just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Let the Lord reveal to you tonight. Before you get home, as you sleep, he will bring it to your remembrance. The things that you need to exchange for his will in your life. Those areas that you need to let go for him to take over. That job that you hug so dearly to your heart. And he's saying to you, there is more to your life. There is more to your life. There is more in me for you. If only you would lift up your eyes from your circumstance. If only you would lift up your eyes 
from your situation and just look onto the author and the finisher of your faith and just lift up your eyes allowing him to walk allowing him to do that which only he can what do you need to yield to God tonight what have you held on to so dearly that it's almost as though God can't speak you can't hear him you can't you can't even perceive what he's trying to do in and around you because you are so fixated on your own thing and he said if you would yield this to me so that I can bless the families of the earth through it so that I can touch lives through it what do you need to surrender to God tonight I surrender to you. Sweet Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see. We desire to be imitators of God because we are His children. Lima Sunde Ekele Seto. We desire to live a life of complete surrender. So tonight we yield once again, our Father. We yield to you. We stoop in your presence. And we say, have your way with us. Have your way in our lives. Have your way in our relationships. Have your way in our homes. Have your way in our families. Have your way in our businesses. Have your way in our jobs. Have your way in our organizations that we currently work at. Have your way in our nation, oh God. We yield to you tonight. And we receive instructions. Lord, we yield ourselves to you tonight. And we say that we are vessels. Use us. Use us to accomplish your glory on earth. Use us to accomplish your will on earth. In the name of Jesus. Someone needs to talk to God about distractions. What is distracting you from God? What is contending with God's attention in your heart? What is contending with God's attention in your heart? What is contending with God? What is distracting you from God? Tonight, speak to the Lord about it. And ask Him to help you. Ask Him to deliver you. To deliver you from the things you have been struggling with. From January, you are still battling it. Hey, Refuse to go into the new year. If I refuse to go into the new month with it. That you are fully yielded to God. Thirsting after him. Desiring righteousness. Seeking his face constantly. Communing with him. That you're like your Lord and your Savior Jesus. You know when to step back from the limelight. 
You know when to step back to recharge and re-energize yourself in the presence of your Father. That you know when to go back to receive instructions from Him. Hey, Makasatayalaba. Libra da kusati ende ke sheke tabu shataya. Hey, makosete yeke yebalabo sete ye. Someone, your life is just in topsy-turvy. You are just tossed around with every wind. The wind of the economy. The wind of religion. You are all over the place. God is saying to you, you need to find rest in me. You need to find rest in me. Makosete libra Enter into the realm of God tonight. Enter into the realm of rest. Someone needs wisdom to be able to organize their day and fit God in. God is not an afterthought. Prayer is not an afterthought. You need to be deliberate about making time for your father. Begin to pray for grace. Begin to pray for grace. To be able to build spiritual muscles as you go into 2019. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Father. Our Father and our God, we just say thank you. We recognize that we are nothing outside of you. So tonight we yield, we surrender our lives again to you. And we ask that you take us, fix us, prune us. The things that we need to shed before we move into the new month, Lord. We ask for a shedding. We ask for grace to lay aside every weight and every sin that besets us. Everything that separates us from your love tonight, we put an end to them in the name of Jesus. We receive grace to be children of light indeed. We receive grace to be salt on this, on, on this earth. We receive your grace to live for you, to please you, and to constantly desire your presence, to hunger and thirst after you. These and more we ask, dear Jesus, help us the way you did it. Strengthen us. Strengthen us to and fill us with wisdom as we go along in our journey of influence. As we go along in our journey of impact and relevance, help us focus strength and attention on the things that matter. The things that matter to you, dear God. The things that matter to your kingdom. That we will not expend energy on the things that do not matter. The things that are ephemeral and temporal. Thank you, Father. I'm going to give somebody an opportunity tonight. If you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, because that's the, that's the foundation of it all. That's where the journey starts from. 
I want to give you an opportunity. You may even have, you know, known him at some point, but you have strayed. You have become far from him. The reality is he didn't change. You changed. He loves you. His love is still unending, unfailing. It's unconditional. And he's not asking you for anything. He doesn't need you to be perfect before you come to him. All he wants is for you to come. Just come. Let him do the fixing. Let him do the fixing. Let him do the changing. Just come. Come as you have. Come with your baggage. Come with all that you have. He loves you. I want to give you an opportunity tonight. All eyes closed. Just raise your hand if you are that person. If you are that person who is saying, Dear Jesus, save me. Help me. Because I am not sure I am doing any good to myself. I need your help. I need your direction. I need you to fill me with your love because I'm, I'm, I'm alone. And I need you. If you are that person tonight, just raise your hand. And I'll say a prayer with you very quickly. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I ask that you come into my heart tonight. I recognize that you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose for my justification. So tonight I yield to you. I surrender my heart to you. Take all of me. Let your life enfold with mine. Let my life begin to reflect yours. Let it begin to reflect your glory. Let my life not remain the same again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. Please put your hands together for Jesus. He deserves all praise. He deserves all the praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.